stuff, good stuff, yeah. He said, Bob said, you're not paying any attention to me. That's not true. It just takes a little bit of time. It just takes a little bit of time. This morning we're continuing on with our study in the book of Colossians. If you really want to understand this particular book, I would encourage you to try to read through the book at least every week, okay, at least once a week. I'm actually trying to read it every day. So every day I read through the book of Colossians, try to take a handle on it, try to get a better understanding of what it is that God's trying to teach us through this particular book, dealing with issues of life and of living life. So we talked through the first chapter. We began to understand a few things, and we labeled it do versus done. Do versus done. And what I meant by that is quite simply that the problem with our world is our world is always talking about a God who is telling you to do something, that you need to do something to get right with God. That you need to do something in order to handle your sins. You need to do something that you can fill in the blank. But Paul tries to remind us and clarify to us that Christianity is not about doing. It's about what's been done. It's about what Christ has done for you. So the entire first chapter is just about the wonder of Jesus and how he is God Almighty who did everything for us that we might have a relationship with him. And that's the first chapter. So we call that do versus done. And anytime somebody tries to tell you what's the difference between religion and Christianity, all you should say is simply that. Well, it's do versus done. Christianity is about what's been done for us, while religion is about what everybody's trying to do for God. The second chapter then moves us to the next step in an understanding of what this is all about in relationship to God himself. And that is that we are not about a new set of rules. Paul says we're not about a whole new set of rules other than what used to be to the Judaistic pictures. That we are not caught up with a, a different set of rules, but instead... Now we are to build a relationship with Jesus, with God the Father, and understand who he is and what he has made us to be. That's the second chapter. So he deals with that issue along that end. He moves to the third chapter, and the third chapter, he's talking about the issue of motivation. We're going to continue with that concept today. But last week we talked about how he tells us that we need to rise up and wise up that we need to be lifted up by God and recognize the wonder of our position with him, and that's rising up with him, that we're not having to do anything, but we are to instead spend time with Jesus learning from him, and we're to wise up, meaning that as we learn from him, we begin to understand what steps we need to take. Now, today, this section of Scripture, going through Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10, Paul gets very, very specific. So now he moves into this issue of, okay, there are certain things that you do need to get rid of in your life. He is telling us in this particular section that the struggle that we were having before in relationship to living a life will continue to be with us, but now we can begin to put away those things that brought death into our life. So he uses the term mortify or put to death certain things that previously were causing us to continue to serve our flesh and Satan. So he says, mortify these particular things. 
Here he is talking about a term that we're going to learn today. I'm going to call smultification. Can you say that with me? Smultification. Hey, we'll try it again. Smultification. It is a real word. It is a real word. Smultification is an interesting process that takes place in the lives of trout and salmon as they begin to move from upstream to downstream, from fresh water to salt water. When they're involved in this journey, there are physiological changes, there are behavioral changes that take place within them until they not only take on a new color, a silvery color, but they also are suddenly able and adapted so they can enter into salt water without dying. They move from fresh water to salt water. It's a perfect picture of the Christian change that God desires to bring about in our life that Paul is talking about here. You see, when Paul tells us that we need to mortify, we need to put to death these particular sins, he's speaking to the issue of the change that's happening in our life. He's saying that now that you've been risen up, now that you have recognized who you are in Christ, now that you're in this special position, you need to cut off these areas that are continuing to hold you back from the change that God wants to bring in your life. In fact, the term mortified literally means to, to cut loose or to cut off. And it's a perfect picture of getting rid of dead baggage and dead skin that no longer should be with you as a Christian. One of the things that consistently bothers me and I find uh, most brothers and sisters that I deal with is the issue of why do I still sin? How many of you struggle with that? Yeah, you see, we find ourselves going, there's been a change within me and I have this motivation to do the right thing. Okay, I desire to do right and to do good. But I still find myself periodically giving in to those old tendencies and falling into sin, which simply brings destruction into my life. And I know it will, but I do it anyway. Why does that happen? Okay, I'm going to make a little detour before we move into the section of Colossians 3 today. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 speaks to the issue of the power of sin. I want you to repeat that to me. The power of sin. Say that with me. The power of sin. See, sometimes we think of sin as these actions. So when you do this action, you're sinning. That is correct. However, there is a power of sin that Paul talks about. And this power literally generates within you an action that you respond to. And the result is we find ourselves enslaved by that power again because we responded to it. Sin is a power, not just an action. When we find ourselves responding to that power and we sin, then Jesus says, come back to me, come before the cross, ask me forgiveness, and I will take away not only the penalty, but the guilt and the power that push you to do that. And as you recognize it, I will continue to help you to smultify. To smultify, to be changed into the very image of Christ himself. Because that's the journey 
that you're on presently. It's the journey that you're involved in right now. So Paul says to us, as Jesus said, you are changing and overcoming daily as you choose to be salt and light. In fact, when I put this down here, it says multiplication is about the change. Really, I think the clarification that, that the Lord gave me as again to pray more and more is that smultification is simple. It's called being salt and being light. Smultification is being salt and being light. Being salt is removing the old stuff. Being light is allowing the new things to come forth out of our life. Be salt, be light. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, be salt. Be salt. Okay? We're going to hold off. I don't want you to be light yet. I just want you to be salt. Okay? So this is all about smultification. When we talk about this issue of smultification, it's a specific change that's happening in us as a result of responding to God's power and his presence within us. So Paul says you're not to be involved in this valet service in relationship to your sensual sins. And he starts off with you need to smultify your sensual sins. He puts it this way. Put to death, therefore. Therefore, it goes back to the fact you've been risen. You've been changed. You're in a new position. You have new power. You have new presence. All these things have been given you by God. Therefore, put to death whatever belongs to that flesh. Now, they translate earthly nature here. The word is simply flesh. And sometimes we get a little mixed up. But they use the term earthly nature to help you understand that now that you have been risen up, you have this new nature. Your old nature has been put to death. Your flesh, therefore, continues to try to get you to do things that God doesn't desire for you to be involved in. He says, you need to put those things to death. We're saying, what things? He says, well, number one, sexual immorality. Number two, impurity. Number three, lust. Four, evil desires. And then greed, which is idolatry. All these things put together. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Now, what do we deal with this dead baggage, this old baggage that we're smultifying, these sensual sins? They're part of our old flesh or our earthly nature. And the flesh is that part of us that still belongs to this earth. You see, we often struggle. I have a lot of, you'll come to me and you'll say, Lord, will you, will you pray for me, Pastor Lee, because I have issues with my knees are bad or I have issues with these other areas of my body. We often talk about our body, our flesh, and we ask him that, that God will heal that. And that's fine. And God oftentimes does that. But what God really wants to heal is the issues of your spirit and your soul. Because I've discovered something. It took me a while. I'm now in my 60s. And that's this. We're all going to die. We're all going to die unless Jesus comes back. And this body is going to deteriorate and be done with. But God said you're going to take on an entirely new body, a body of immortality, and that's the body that we will see and will appear before us and that we'll gain, we will live with for eternity. So he's saying right now, you have to deal with this flesh that you're living in. It's part of the earth and it wants to stay here. And he says, no, it's actually dead. You need to remove this decaying flesh. You see, the flesh wants to replace joy with false happiness. It wants to replace freedom with house arrest. It wants to replace peace with, I'm okay. It wants to replace uh, our legacy with destruction. See, our flesh distracts us from our dreams and our purpose and moves us towards doubt and futility. 
And interestingly enough, it seems that our flesh is attached to this series of characteristics that we can shed one by one. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying your flesh is attached to these characteristics. And as you cut them off, your flesh becomes less and less and less able to bring influence into your life. So you need to exterminate, smultify, make powerless sexual immorality. This specifically is pornea. It means fornication or adultery. It's the first action that Paul points out to us that we need to stop allowing our flesh to be stimulated by that it will continue to reactivate destructive desires in us that will tear us down and tear us apart. This is sexual interaction without commitment, without relationship. See, it's not enough to love somebody. You also have to commit to them. If we look at stats today, the number one detrimental statistic of the United States is single women with children. Number one statistic that's bringing destruction into the U.S., single women with children. Now, if you think I'm against single women with children, I'm not at all. What I am saying is they're put in a horrible, horrible position. Should never, ever happen. God never intended for that to happen. It was supposed to be two people raising that child. All right? Sexual immorality is number one. We need to move away, cut off this issue of sexual immorality. Do not allow that to continue in your life. Secondly, use the term impurity. The word means to pollute or to infect. Immoral behavior. What precedes immoral behavior? Impure thoughts. Yeah. Impure thoughts. We, we think it, we fantasize about it, we do it. It was recently a song out and they said, you know, we tend to fade into immorality. We don't just jump into it. We start thinking about it and we start considering it and we pursue it and then we fall into it and it brings destruction into our lives. It involves imagination and interaction, pornography, movies, books, things that encourage us to move towards and rationalize our immoral behaviors that are bringing destruction into our life. You see, immorality is the act, impurity is the thought that leads us to the act. He says, so you need to get rid of immorality, but you also need to get rid of impurity because that's moving you back towards that. So these things are bringing destruction to your life. Now, I want you to get this again. Paul doesn't tell us this, and God doesn't tell us to hurt us, to harm us, or to stop us from enjoying life. He's saying this is false ideas of how you're going to enjoy life. This will not bring enjoyment to your life. It will bring destruction to your life. It'll bring destruction to your own self in terms of who you are. He says, these are things that are sinful. They're of your flesh and they're going to bring pain to you. They will never bring pleasure to you. It'll be a false picture that's presented to you. And any idea you have that it will be good stuff coming your way is incorrect. It will not be. Okay, the third thing he talks about is lust. Lust. Now, this lust is becoming a little more general now. This isn't just sexual lust. This is craving for that interaction that brings destruction. Um, It's all the areas in life that say, I just got to have that. I just got to have that. It's lusting after, I must have that car. I must have that person. I must have that set of clothes. I must have that. You can fill in the blank. I don't know what it is that you must have. But we find ourselves lusting after these particular things. One characteristic of lust is that you begin to see people as objects for your own enjoyment rather than people that you're called to love. 
You use them in order to accomplish a task to gain that which you desire. You're lusting after these particular things. Lust these, the things of this world, is objects made for me to have. The things of this world are objects made for me to have. Evil desires, kakia is the word used here, it means wicked. Uh, it's desires that are destructive and tearing apart that never put anything together. Wicked desires. Someone says, well, how do you know what that is? I said, you always know what it is. You always know what it is you get there. As if someone says, you always know the right thing to do, just whether or not you choose to do it. So he simply uses that term, evil desires. They're evil. And then greed. The craving for more. Not content with your content. It's the opposite of generosity. Uh, The big picture. um, You've got this on your outline. I want you to read it with me. Jesus said this. Then Jesus said to them, be careful and guard against all kinds of greed. Life is not measured by how much one owns. Read that with me again. Be careful and guard against all kinds of greed. Life is not measured by how much one owns. Certain person next to you and say, be salt. Be salt. That's all he's saying. That's all he's saying. He's saying, guard against these greed. Be Salt. Don't allow yourself to get caught up in greed. Greed destroys perspective. It gives you false direction. It's a bad GPS. It encourages stinginess. It denigrates generosity. It tends to make you think that you are more significant and more important than you are and makes you think you would be far more important if only you had those things. It is the core ingredient of lust and immorality. It's the desire to have something that someone else possesses. It's dissatisfaction with what God has given. So he goes on to say, this issue of greed is actually idolatry. It's the pursuit of all these different things as opposed to what God has told you will bring about great and wonderful things in your life and the lives of others around you. These things become your God. And the pursuit of these things adds up to idolatry. I hope you're getting this picture. Greed is such a horrible, horrible thing. If you're not content with your spouse, you decide you need to have somebody else's. If you're not content with your relationship with your spouse, so you begin to augment it with pornography or other lusts. As you get older, you may not crave sexual sin so much, but you begin to transfer your desire to the material, and your discontent leads to sin, and your greed becomes God. And what makes the situation even worse is the amazing human capacity for self-delusion in respect to these two areas of sensuality and greed. Lust is blind. Love's not blind, by the way. Love is not blind at all. Love is very, very clear. Lust is blind, and greed is delusional. It's delusional. It will move you into a series of delusionary ideas concerning yourself, concerning others, and concerning what it is that you think you're going to gain. Perhaps one of the best pictures I've seen of this idea of greed and how it brings destruction to you is a story 
that's presented in a movie in relationship to a man who was recognized as the one that God had called to be a leader. And as he's placed in his position of leadership, he listens to his father, who is a greedy, delusional person. And he makes a huge, huge mistake. Who is that again, buddy? Let's watch it out of the movie called Braveheart. Greed brings delusion. Lust causes us to be blind. Paul is trying to teach us you need to smultify your flesh, your sensual sins. You need to choose to be salt. Turn to the person next to you and say, be salt. Okay. Now, we're to be aware that these dead desires want to dominate our lives. So we learn to say no. We learn to say, I will never be on the wrong side again. And we find ourselves focusing on the taking on of new virtues and values that are of this new nature that I refer to as being light. And we're going to talk about that next week. But Paul says, you know, we can't stop with the sensual natures. We need to move to another area that continues to bring about denigration and destruction in our life. And that's the area of speaking or social sins. Speaking or social sins. He says, you need to smultify these sensual and speaking social sins. You don't need to be giving lip service to the devil. Now, a quick back statement here. What I've discovered, interestingly enough, uh, being involved in ministry long enough to be involved in some horrible situations, uh, what I discovered is that when we're involved in any kind of sensual sin, it leads us into areas of speaking and social sins that point out to other people that we have a real problem. When I've been involved with people that were involved in areas of adultery and fornication and other things, what I found out is their speech begins to be muddied. They begin to denigrate and put down, and they begin to fall into these areas he talks about here. There begins to be a lot of anger and rage and malice and slander and even filthy language that just jumps out of their voice. And you're like, what is going on here? I still remember it, being involved in that, looking at the person going, where is this coming from? And then I received a call about 20 days later telling me what was happening, how my, their life was being destroyed because they were involved in an adulterous relationship. I went, ah, now I get it. Paul is saying sensual sins lead us into these area of social or speaking sins and vice versa. And vice versa, they go back in that way too. So he says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. In other words, you used to try to bring about production in your life by acting in this manner. You didn't get mad, you got even, right? That's not scriptural. Okay? God gets even. You just respond appropriately. You choose to forgive. Ah, we're involved in a completely different set of responses and reactions 
to the world around us and we're involved in the process of smoltifying our sins. So he says, in this case, he says, you need to rip off or strip off these social sins. Jesus said it this way. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. This, this lip service picture, uh, it's a reminder to us that I think we need to get back to again. This is Paul has not given us a new set of rules. He's not saying, okay, now we need to set us all up and say, oh, here's the new set of rules for you. We're going to take a look, first of all, at sensual sins. Then we're going to take a look at speaking sins. And we're going to see how you're doing. That is not what he is saying. What he is saying is that you must rise up, gain a new motivation. God changes your heart, changes your mind so that you're able to begin to respond. So now, put aside, strip off, kill these things that are bringing destruction into our life. Internal change is producing within you external results. And you should see them on a consistent basis. You will see a silvery color. You'll find yourself being adaptable to seawater. You'll find yourself enjoying and interacting with the things of God and rejoicing over who he is and what you are in him. You should be asking yourself, not so much, how am I doing in these areas? But after I look at these things, asking yourself, am I smoltifying? Am I smoltifying? Am I being changed in the journey that I'm on? So he gives us five lip service sins. Let me give you a quick thing. You can see all these in one motion. Someone cuts you off in traffic and you lay on the horn. You immediately conclude this guy chose to deliberately cut you off. It was a massive plot to annoy you. You draw verbal conclusions about the guy that are not flattering. You may even talk about the man's lack of intelligence or the shallowness of his upbringing. In some cases, you may even send an unkind gesture his way. You are not smoltifying. You are not smoltifying. Put to death this stuff. Anger, this deep-seated resentment, this, this hatred. Anger is like giving the devil the opportunity to gain entrance into your house giving them a foothold so they can begin to, to move in and bring destruction into your life. He's waiting for you to give an invitation. Just, just accept this anger. And as it grows, bad things happen. We're frustrated. We're not getting in our way about something. And we find ourselves saying, it's okay for me to get angry because of this frustration. The anger begins to boil within us and eat away at our defenses. And then we seek to deny the problem that God is trying to bring out and smultify in our life. And instead, we rationalize and we attack. Now, I hope you caught something there. You see, what I found out in almost every case in my life, when anger begins to try to get a handle on me, God is trying to deal with an issue that I have. And I become angry because I don't want to deal with it. And I kind of go, how dare you speak to me that way? How dare you bring that up as if I was? And God is saying, Lee, I need to tear this stuff off. And you're trying to put it back on. Anger does not achieve 
the desires of God. Rage is the next one. Stumos. This is the, a flame that blows up. It's, it's barbecue grease that falls on it. See, I have no eyebrows. Okay? You notice? <laughs> Too many barbecues. Whoa! There it goes. That's why I have no eyebrows. I get down in there and I'm doing the dirty thing. I'm making that... It's awful. My guy said, yeah, you burn everything, Dad. I go, oh, yeah. Barbecues do that to you. But this is rage. It burns you off. It, you fly off the handle. It's spewing out. It controls you. Proverbs says, A stupid man gives rain to his anger, but a wise man waits and lets it grow cool so he can deal with it. Someone said, When you get angry, count to ten. When you get real angry, count to a hundred. I found that, Yeah. Walk away. You have to turn and say, Lord, I want to be saltified. We need to be salt. Malice is the third one he brings up. This is often referred to as the root of all vices. It's ill will towards someone else. Malice. It's like mad cow disease. It's, a, it's hidden. It's often deceptive. It spreads to others. It's a bitterness that seeks to hurt other people around you. It causes us to say hurtful things and leads us to, to go for the jugular. It's a viciousness of heart in our mind. We're going to get even for what they did or for what they might do or because they're in my way. And Paul is saying you need to smultify that. Be salt, no malice, no slander, blasphemia. It's defaming or putting down others. It's a, kind of a bad breath disease. It's a form of gossip that's incredibly harmful as we give off false comments in relationship to others around us, defaming someone else's character. We're speaking hurtful or distorted truth to make another person look bad. You know, we really need to pray for Ray because I won't tell you why. You get any idea, though? We fall into this horrible position. God says, no slander, no filthy language. All these fall into the same interesting pattern here. Spoiled food, language that smells. When anger controls a person, they spew hurtful and vile words. You find yourself here. You, you find yourself with somebody you love and you're interacting. You find yourself getting angry. And suddenly you say something. You go, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe that came out of my mouth. Step process, anger, thumos, malice, slander, and then it moves to the issue of lying, which appears to be the, the kind of the big daddy. If greed is the big daddy of, of sensual sins, and it really is, kind of funny that that's what it is, but that's what it is. It's the big daddy of sensual sins, and it's about that discontent issue. Then lying is the big daddy of, of, of speaking sins, okay? lies. Lies, the father of speaking sins. Um, he may even be doubling up a bit here. He may be referring back. Don't lie about these issues that you have in your life of malice and slander. Don't lie about that. Cut them off. Smultify them. Allow God to remove them from your life. Don't lie to the Holy Spirit. Don't be in denial about the truth in relationship to these Issues. Satan is even called the father of lies. He's a habitual liar. You know what an habitual liar is? An habitual liar, because I was one, cannot tell the difference between truth and lies. 
They will turn to you and they will tell you something that is a blatant lie and they will believe it. I've had a habitual liar in my office and I've shown them that what they did it was it's so obvious it was, a, it was a lie, a blatant lie. And they said, I'm not lying. Uh, are you kidding me? They literally can no longer tell the difference between lying and speaking truth. That's how muddled their life has become. These are tough things, folks. And I fully recognize it. And Paul's going to move us to the positive areas. And I'm kind of a positive guy. I don't like to deal with all these things. But he desired for us to clarify some things about these issues. And lying's a really, really big deal. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to lighten this up for a second. We're going to watch this little clip about lying. That's a little bit light, but it's not. Let's watch it. It's called Liar, Liar. Everybody lies. We all have to lie. That is the big lie. That's the big lie. You do not have to lie. Father, today we come before you because we are your children and our desire is to be smultified. We want to experience this wondrous change. Will we find ourselves motivated to speak truth? Will we find ourselves standing firm in relationship to loving other people? We find ourselves resisting those sensual sins that we know bring destruction to us and to others and instead experiencing the wonder of life as you meant for it to be. And so today we come to you and we ask once again for you to cleanse us from our sin and to remove us from its power. Not just the penalty, but the power. Lord, this morning, We ask that you would make us new again, as only you can. Uh, We know that sin continues to erode in our life, but we're being smultified. We are being changed. And we'd ask today that you might cleanse us once more and help us to continue that way, the new way, experiencing all that you have for us. We know that you can do it. You're the only one that can. So cleanse us from sin and from its power. Make us new again as we declare you Lord of our life. And we ask that in Jesus' name.